Hello, everybody, and welcome back to High School Not So Much Musical. Today, we are joined with one of the top 1% of teachers in all of the U.S. to discuss teaching and learning during COVID. Dr. Vani is the founder of E3 STEM Academy, whose dream is to make a difference in STEM education and an attempt to serve the community. Dr. Vani has a PhD in curriculum instruction from Texas A&M University. She has over 15 years experience teaching in the Texas public school system as an educator and curriculum developer. To top it off, she's a Texas State and National Board Certified Educator, making her one of the top 1% of teachers in the USA. During this podcast, we will discuss some of the struggles that students will face going back in person for schooling and how you can make it an easier transition for yourself. We hope you enjoy. We'll get to that right after this. This is High School Not So Much A Musical, a podcast that takes you on a ride through the peaks and valleys of a high school journey. Here are your presenters, Nitin Jaladanki and Ayush Agarwal. Ms. Jaladanki, could you tell us a little bit about your teaching background and current occupation? So, I, I'm an educator by profession. I have an experience of almost 18 years teaching in various public schools here in Texas. I teach advanced placement physics and chemistry. Those are the main subjects that I teach. But apart from that, I also teach um, IB math courses. So in what ways do you think that virtual learning has made it harder for teachers to establish a strong teacher-student relationship? Well, this pandemic itself is like unexpected. So most teachers are not prepared for uh, teaching virtual lessons and establishing a uh, student-teacher relationships via um, virtual media right uh, now if you if you think about it like in a real classroom setting there is a direct relationship between the student and the teacher which makes it makes the whole teaching and learning process really effective but when it is virtual creating that kind of an environment is really difficult and most teachers are not prepared for it so they have to you know go through this entire process of like revamping their lessons um not only just like figuring out innovative ways to teach the lessons but also now they have to learn all the technology that goes with it right um for example like physics which is already a difficult course for most students um involves a lot of labs and simulations and things of that sort where teacher plays a major role and now shifting all that to um virtual is really a challenge for uh, most teachers so i think i think when it comes to like stem courses i think that is a big big change for um, most teachers yeah and you know there was actually one of our one of the teachers at our school at the end of the year he told us you know if i see you in person next year and i don't recognize you don't blame me because you decided (laughs) to have your camera like only showing your forehead in the ceiling the entire year so like that just the online presence in general makes it harder to establish a strong teacher-student relationship so what like court what like steps have you taken to you know make stem learning more accessible in the classroom like virtually and how have you been able to manage that See, in my situation is something special because i i teach or in other words like i provide enrichment right because my my setup is completely different unlike regular public school uh, educator um since i teach from home it it's making things easy for me in the sense like first year was a challenge like last year was a challenge in the fact that 
I had to come up with, uh, you know, new ways to do labs and to provide that first-hand experience for students. But I guess now I'm more prepared. Uh, but again, my student-teacher ratio is very small. I only teach a group of 10 students, which really, you know, helps me keep that one-on-one, you know, relationship going. But then in a classroom setting where in most of the public schools, um, if I'm correct, you have... 40 students for every teacher at least here right in texas we have the student teacher ratio for all the virtual lessons is one to 40 and so students have always been complaining that they just do not even get a chance to talk to teacher to ask questions to uh, to you know like um, raise any concerns so definitely if you are in a regular classroom setting you you will not disagree that you have that special time with your teacher where you can go talk to them right you have those tutorials and things of that sort but here like you know for past one year i think i think students are missing that part they have no relationship with the teacher whatsoever uh, when you have 40 students in the classroom think about what kind of attention the teacher is going to have on every student they probably do not even know the names of the students that are in the classroom stemming from that um, mm-hmm. obviously covid 19 has hit education particularly very hard and students have a hard time learning and staying focused during virtual learning because I know that I also had a very hard time staying focused but Mm -hmm. however many people don't consider the impact of COVID on teachers. Can you talk about the ways that COVID has made teaching difficult uh, apart from the fact with the strong teacher-student relationship that is lacking? Yeah, the amount of time that goes into planning these lessons, right? Uh, The lesson that would take only maybe an hour to plan is now taking three, four hours because now we have to figure out all the other uh, supporting um, teaching aids and, you know, other ways to like get this content across to the student without actually seeing the student, right? And, uh, And the truth of the matter is no two students learn the same way. And in a classroom, it's very easy for us to actually cater Uh, the lesson to the needs of the students. But given the virtual scenario, you do not even have a clear understanding of your student in order for you to design your lessons to be able to meet that individual student need. So now the teachers are, you know, uh, having to spend five to six hours to plan the same lesson. So it's the time that goes into it. Now the amount of time is like, you know, four or five times more than you usually have. And again, Another issue is during regular um, school, you actually get to sit with other teachers. You get to plan the lessons together, share your experiences and enhance your lessons. But given the virtual scenario, that is again becoming a challenge as well. I like what you said there about not every single student learning the exact same way, because like at my old school before, like I went to basis, Mm -hmm. they actually made the teachers give us like learning quizzes how do you learn so it would you would like fill out a set of questions and based on that it would diagnose you as like a visual learner where you had to see stuff more uh versus um things like an auditory learner or versus a hands-on learner so how important do you think those types of quizzes are in like helping the teacher out because obviously like if you know that okay a majority of this class is a visual learner so maybe i should include like more diagrams i feel like that would help but i want to know like a teacher's opinion on that on yeah how much it actually uh, benefits the teacher 
Yeah, that's actually a very good question because it it directly takes me into my field of research because my field of research and my entire theses and papers that I've written is all based on uh, multiple intelligences. The fact that every student has their own kind of intelligence and the lesson has to be catered to that intelligence for the student to be able to learn the material and express it uh, in a way that he is uh, capable of doing effectively right um that's what you mean by multiple in- intelligences when you said like audio uh, visual or kinesthetic right so all these are like different modes and mediums that students use to express their understanding of the material so in the past in our classes we used to use what are called interactive journals where uh, a student can actually show their understanding of the material in different ways like beat in the form of a drawing or a cartoon or a small paragraph expressing their understanding of things or it could be a song or it could be any medium right um the teacher had that liberty to sit there and give student that time to express that understanding in a way that they actually enjoy and make sense of but given this virtual scenario we don't have time for any of that stuff most of the teaching and learning is happening in the form of worksheets and short lecture that's pretty much it and probably powerpoints and you know some some uh, virtual labs in the sense like they're more simulations a simulation is good when there it's better than nothing but a true lab setting is is where you actually learn science by doing science right you don't learn science by simply looking at something or uh, listening you actually learn science when you do it and and that is why labs are so important and i think i think that is the big piece that at least my students for the most part missed and when you when you don't do science you cannot make those connections especially in a subject like physics if you notice uh, the ap scores this year uh, i think not very many students actually made a 5 in ap physics i was less than 20% if i'm correct right it was around 7% for five yeah so so it's really sad uh it is i mean the way the course is designed it is already a difficult subject but what makes physics so much more interesting is the fact that you're able to do physics and you're able to understand the concepts you're able to apply those concepts that you are learning um to a true scenario but none of those opportunities were available for these students for past one to two years and and i feel that that has created a huge void in their understanding um but i guess that that was the best we could do given the situation right yeah definitely and a follow up question that i have is so in the summer of 2020 i remember that i was a part of your chemistry and physics program during the summer and you were giving us different labs that we could work on and obviously this wasn't the same because i remember in 8th grade we would do labs where you would see the um reaction time for a person catching a ruler or something like that and in chemistry we would do um titration labs where we would see how quickly it would titrate and then guess the concentration and stuff like that and I haven't taken bio personally but I know that I used to take it this year and something that typically is the stereotype is that you do animal dissections in bio and none of those were active for the 9th and 10th grade personally from in the in terms of me and Ayush so how do you think that 
Without this hands-on learning, what will be the effect of shuffling between in-person and virtual schooling? Because we'll be going back next year. And if there's a person who took, suppose, honors physics and didn't get any of the hands-on work, how are they going to be doing an AP Physics one, which you said is a very difficult course? Obviously, the college board can't account for this, but won't it be difficult for teachers to kind of bridge the gap for students? I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you fa- with, with the fact that there is going to be a gap in their understanding. It is going to be more difficult for a student who has taken honors physics virtually compared to a student who has taken it in person, right? Because you did not have that kind of an experience of actually doing labs or applying the concepts that you have learned in honors physics. So yeah, there is going to be a gap. Like you said, you know, college board is not going to account for it, but I personally feel that they have to take this into account. They have to consider the fact that students coming from pre-AP courses for last two years do not have the kind of uh, foundation that is actually required for AP. Um, And again, um, teachers who are going to teach these AP courses must take that fact into consideration when designing their lessons. They have to spend more time. And honestly speaking, you know, teaching AP physics for past, I would say, uh, 15 years, I do have this mindset that when students walk through the doors of my classroom, do come with certain prerequisite knowledge. Uh, They do know certain things for me to get started with the class at the AP level. But now that is not the scenario. So I definitely have to take into consideration that students do not come with a kind of prerequisites. And like Aish was saying, it's very important for the teachers to assess the students that come into our classrooms this year to understand what those gaps are. And probably we have to spend some time filling those gaps before we start building on them. Um, So it is very, very important. Like when, when we are doing an AP lab, Maybe we have to consider the fact that they did not have, uh, you know, an experience of these labs in honors physics and should probably, you know, extend it a little more and do some prerequisite lab before we actually do the AP lab that is required. I think I think it is going to be a big challenge for most AP teachers, given the time crunch and the amount of material that they actually have to cover. But I think it is very important that we should consider the fact that this year's students are going to be very different from the students that we had in the past. So I want to branch this off into a different topic very quickly, and this has to more this has more to do with AP chemistry. I know that you're a chemistry teacher, a chemistry professor. And I took AP chemistry in my in last year, so in the 2020-2021 school year, and I did not have any of the in-person lab time like other students did. And one question that the college board gives every single year that's in their curriculum is a lab question in which they ask a student has these materials using these lab measurement materials, what is the best one that they can use? to measure this ingredient or measure this material or something like that. And there's also titration labs and stuff like that. And our teacher tried really hard to do this all online, but without that physical, without the physical touch of working with the chemistry instrument, it's obviously not the same. How do you think that the college board took this into mind? And why do you think they still gave those questions? And was there any proper way for teachers to actually still teach those concepts to kids without giving them the the actual in-person lab that they were used to yes that's a very good question because this is this is a problem that most of the students had uh you know that took the exam 2021 uh because yes you're right we always have one 
question that is based off of experimental design. So where the student has to either design the experiment or has to analyze the data that is given to them and be able to um, justify the results. Um, so yeah, the second part where you, your data analysis comes into picture, maybe you don't have to, I mean, it will be great if you are actually in the lab collecting the data and analyzing the data because it takes a different skill set altogether. But now, given the scenario, most of the teachers have shifted a little bit from the regular path and have started giving students data sets for them to actually analyze the data, which is, which is again, a big skill set, right? Uh, interpreting graphs and analyzing data and things of that sort. I think College Board focused mainly in that area where even though the student did not have the first-hand experience of handling the materials and doing the lab, still I the expectation from the College Board was that the teacher should teach the students how to think and interpret data sets that are given to them. Um, which, which to me, I mean, it is a challenge. I do agree when you don't have hands-on uh, experience, it's kind of hard. Um, but again, um, you really don't have to do the experiment to be able to analyze the data. I think that's where College Board focused mostly this year when it came to experimental design labs. In the years past, most of the experimental design labs were, were based off of the design aspect where, at least, I mean, I can talk from AP physics exam perspective because I was also part of, you know, uh, setting up the exam and like designing the exam questions and stuff. Um, so the way we used to design uh, questions in the past was, it was more geared towards the design aspect, right? So here are, you know, um, this is, what we want you to do. For example, like um, determine the acceleration due to gravity on the surface of the earth, right? And we expected students to actually come up with a problem, a hypothesis, give us an experimental design, state what materials they're going to use and why that particular experimental design is more effective. And in order for a student to do that, they actually have to have a first-hand experience. Otherwise, it's very difficult. But I think this year, it was geared more towards data interpretation rather than, you know, designing. So I think College Board has done some due diligence in considering the fact that, you know, uh, kids did not have that kind of first-hand experience this year. I think we can switch, uh, switch gears a bit. So we can talk a little bit about your tutoring business, E3 STEM Academy. Um, as a business owner, what were the key changes that you had to make after COVID hit? to ensure that your students were still learning all of the skills that they needed uh, to succeed in the high school course. Few changes that I've made is that kept the student teacher ratio small. So I had less number of students in my classes compared to what they usually are in person. Like, you know, when it is in person, the class sizes were big, but this year kept the class size to only eight students uh, and thereby have better interaction with all the students. It definitely was a challenge keeping the students engaged through the class, especially when you're at home and you have thousand and one things around you that distract you from the lesson. Uh, keeping them engaged was definitely a challenge, but again, keeping the student-teacher ratio small really helped. Uh, another challenge for me was I was definitely not prepared to go virtual um you know with all the zoom stuff and you know simulations and things of that sort that definitely posed a challenge at the beginning 
but then I kind of like eased into it over time. Um, so those were all some big changes for me, you know, like learning technology and figuring out resources uh, to supplement for what I could not do. Uh, had to come up with recorded lessons to post on YouTube so that students, because they're not, uh, you know, in person, I, I had to give them a lot more resources uh, to be able to help them succeed uh, in the AP courses. So those were all like extra things that I had to do. Uh, to make sure that my students were successful. Okay, so I think that this leads me perfectly into my next question. And if you go to um, Dr. Jaladanki's website, which is e3stemacademy.com and you go to her gallery page, you can actually see that there's pictures of students in her classroom who are building uh, pyramids with cups and they're doing so much hands-on work. and without all this hands-on work are students losing some of the skills that they gained throughout their preliminary preliminary years of schooling which is working with materials and learning with stuff like that and with this huge shift towards online learning and using the computer and mouse are they losing some of those analytical and thinking skills that they used to have before by using touch and senses rather than just staring at a screen for hours together every day Definitely, yes. Um, these students are not uh, the same as the students who actually are kinesthetic or in other words, they are actually doing stuff and uh, holding things and understanding things better as to how they actually work, right? Uh, staring at the screen for like, you know, uh, one hour and listening to somebody talk for that one hour or do problems for one hour is not going to really help you learn stuff that easily as it would if you actually do and learn. Um, so I think uh, lessons that were really effective and were and kept the curiosity of the kids going uh, were, were not you know provided through um, virtual learning. So definitely that part, that that curiosity and and the way the thinking part um, was definitely different this year. And I think, you know, um, when students are sitting on a computer, there are so many things that they're going to take away their attention. You have YouTube videos for them to watch. You have games and so many other things that take away their concentration. And it is no way possible for any teacher to actually know what they're doing when you're sitting in front of a computer, right? Even though you have your camera on and you're staring at me, it's not guaranteed that the material that I'm teaching is actually seeping into your head. It is not until you actually see the student's grade, you know that the material has not gotten to the students. So, so yeah, the students are at a big disadvantage not having that, that kind of like kinesthetic learning. So on that, Ray, you were talking about how like a student, they can be sitting in front of the computer staring at you, but they can really be doing whatever they want, right? Um, so how did you kind of manage that during the virtual le learning setting? Like how were you able to keep the students engaged? I know you mentioned um, the lower student to teacher ratios and like less students in the class overall but what were some other tactics that you used to try to keep the students engaged even during the tough times Main maintaining that rapport with the student right um you have to ask questions you have to make sure that you are able to keep that student focused on what you're teaching so 
that that constant rapport with the student is very very important so you should you should i think teachers now have learned that questioning is very important they have to ask the students uh, and they have to give that opportunity for the student to express their understanding of the material that you have taught uh, so that was one thing that i did there is if if I mean, like Nitin probably can vouch for it because he was in my class um, last year during summer. And so that is one thing that I do. I'm continuously asking questions. You ask me a question, I throw a question back at you. Um, even though I can give you the answer, my goal there is to push your thinking. And since you're not in my classroom, the best way for me to keep you engaged and make sure that you are, your thinking is being pushed to the limit is through questioning. So I think that was the main tool that I used. I, I questioned a lot um, and I don't believe in my students remaining silent through my class. I expect them to speak. And if they do not speak, uh, they know for a fact that there is going to be a question thrown at them. So the students, that is that is my way of keeping my students engaged. I, I make sure that I ask questions throughout my class as I teach. So it's not it's not the whole uh, monotonous thing of like where the teacher is preaching and the students are staring at the screen. That is not the case in my classes. Um, there are going to be questions and students are forced to think and answer. Um, so that's that's my way of teaching. So thank you for your response. And this leads me to some, something similar to it. And specifically for the 2021-2021 uh, school year, Ayush and I were both at basis during this time. And one thing that we noticed was normally we would have five um, times a week the same class. Then this year we would have on the same class four times a week. And we would only have 40 minutes because normally we would have the class five times a week at 50 minutes, so that's 250 minutes a week. But then this year, it was only 160 minutes a week, so that's 90 minutes less of class time every week. And teachers would try to fix this by pre-recording their lectures and just putting them on Google Drive and asking their students to listen to them. And then they would have office hours outside of class time to ask these questions. But with so much freedom given to students of to just not listen to the lectures and just speed through them. and they're not forced to come to office hours and ask questions and teachers also they can't inject the material into the student's mind so how do you think that this is going to affect students next year because with all of this constant shuffling between in-person and virtual and recorded lectures and office hours is it going to be harder for students to pay attention in class next year and will the college will be able to do anything to maybe fix this for ap classes and what can teachers do to make their in-person schooling more engaging for students? That's a good question. Now, you can look at it, I'm going to flip the question and look at it from a different perspective. You're right, uh, students, teachers were forced to post lessons online because of the shortage, shorting, uh, shortening of the classes and the class time uh, and the number of students that they had to uh, work with, right? Um, but again, it, it is also an advantage for those students who were able to get through these tough times and learn to take responsibility, right? Uh, this, this was a great opportunity for those students who have actually learned to take responsibility. If not this scenario, probably those students would not have been as responsible as they are now for their learning. And I, I personally believe that when students take responsibility for their learning, they are definitely going to be more successful than you know uh, somebody trying to force them to learn something. So I think 
I think this COVID situation has thrown us all into uh, uh, what to say a kind of situation where you have learned to be more responsible for your own learning. But um, when they go back to school, it is going to be hard for them uh, at the beginning because again, with so many distractions around them at home for past one year, um, it is going to be a challenge for them for first few weeks. But I think um, teachers do understand that and uh, are going to gear their lessons in such a way that um, they'll be able to very quickly engage the students more effectively in the classroom. Now you talked about how like there was actually kind of a pro of distance learning there that students were able to take more responsibility for their own learning, especially as the AP season came up. Um, do you think there's any other pros of uh, COVID-19 and virtual learning on education? Obviously, we talked a lot about the cons, but are there any any benefits that you saw uh, with learning being virtual? Yeah, I mean, as as a business person, for me, I think I think COVID was like a blessing in disguise uh, because now, you know, I, I'm able to help more number of students, not just here in Texas, but I do have students from other states because now the lessons are offered virtually. Right. So more number of students are able to actually join these classes and I'm able to help more students across across us um and another thing is previously students who are in the suburbs of um dallas took almost an hour to drive to my place take my lesson and go back so that's like two hours of their valuable time wasted in a year i mean in a week uh, but now they don't have to waste that time so they come they join the class and they they get the benefit of the class and they also get the benefit of the time that they were losing while they were driving back and forth. Um, so that's that's a that's a big you know pro for students again who have taken the responsibility of uh, you know learning virtually, and and it's interesting how like this year I was worried uh, if my AP scores are going to get affected because of this entire thing being virtual, and this was my first year where I thought the entire year virtually. But surprisingly, my scores were good. I had students making fives and fours. The average score for um, I had uh, 30, close to 30 students in my AP uh, physics class. And the average score was a four, uh, which was very impressive. Um, so so I, think, I think students have learned or they were forced to take responsibility for their learning. So I think, I think those were some of the pros that I have seen. Okay, so thank you for all your insightful thoughts so far. And just to wrap it up, do you have any tips for any teachers listening to our podcast right now on how they can make it easier for their students to transition into in-person schooling again or make their virtual teaching more engaging? Yeah, I, I will say, you know, um, teach from your heart. Teach from your heart and understand that these students went through so much more than what students actually do in the last one year. So if they teach from the heart, I'm sure they'll be able to modify their lessons to meet their students' needs. Um, definitely the student teachers have to be more thoughtful in how they get the material across to these students and the fact that they did not have the same kind of experiences as the students in the past so if they consider these things and revamp their lessons a little bit spend a little more time in understanding where these students come from i'm sure the teaching learning process is going to be great
Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Ms. Jalanki. We got some great discussions and knowledge out of it. Just to sum it up for our listeners, as Ms. Jalanki said, let's embrace the struggles that we had with COVID and come out stronger with it. School has started or is starting soon for a lot of our listeners. So we wish you luck with all this school year has in store for you. Watch out for future episodes where we speak with an experienced college counselor on how college application essays work, as well as a group of TikToking twins who hope to inform kids of the importance of STEM. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of High School Not So Much a Musical, and a big thank you to Dr. Vani Jalanki once again. That's our show for today. Now roll the credits. High School Not So Much a Musical is hosted by Ayush Agarwal and Nitin Jalanki. Narration by Samhit Padala. Music from Louis Luang Relaxation Cafe, Tune Pocket, and Infraction. If you like this show, please recommend it to your friends and family. Thank you for listening, and see you next time.